This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. We're going to be looking at chapter 15 of Luke's Gospel. So if you want to find that, please. Luke chapter 15. I really want tonight to talk about the Father Heart of God. And I don't think there's any other story in the Bible that predicts or describes the Father Heart of God more than the story of the prodigal son. A few stories in Scripture stir the imagination and the emotions more than the prodigal son. Just about every buddy, believer, unbeliever in the Western world has heard of the prodigal son. They don't know all about it, but they know that it involves a young man who lost his way and came back again, and his father received him. Strictly speaking, this belongs to a trilogy of parables that Jesus told, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And each one of those are wonderful within themselves. But yet this is also a standalone story. The three principal characters are the prodigal, the father, and the elder brother. And each one of those would provide a sermon in their own right. The wasteful and the wasted son, the gracious, forgiving father, and the self-righteous, and the hard-hearted elder brother. And it's been often been called the prince of parables, or the pearl and the crown of all parables. Charles Dickens simply described it as the finest short story that was ever written. But tonight my focus will be on the attitudes and the actions of the Father. Because at the heart of this story, really, it's about the Father heart of God. The goodness and the graciousness and the loveliness of God. But first, the context. Somebody said that the key to this parable hangs on the front door. So let's just read the first three verses of chapter 15. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he spoke this parable to them. Now the scribes and Pharisees, they despised Jesus and they hated the fact that he would frequently associate with such scoundrels as tax collectors and sinners, publicans. They would not even give them the time of day. They certainly would never, ever eat with them. That would be an abomination to them. But Jesus was the opposite. Jesus went out of his way to be in their company, trying to win them over, trying to show them who he really was and the life that God really would have for them. The Pharisees and scribes wanted nothing to do with that. And so Jesus would denounce them for their hypocrisy, for their hard-heartedness, and he would denounce them. And the more he did that, the more they despised him and took every opportunity to try to catch him in his words or find out something they could accuse him of. That was just continually against him. And although this really is a triple parable, and yet I suppose it's one parable split into three, because at the heart of it, he's really shown God's love for the sinner. God's love for the publicans and the sinners, and he shows that through the story of the wayward son, 
the prodigal. And of course, the elder brother, he would be a very apt description of those scribes and Pharisees with their hypocrisy and their condescension and their despising of anyone except themselves. And so that's the context. So then look at the content. So we're going to skip the first two, the, obviously the lost sheep and the lost coin, and go straight into the parable of the lost son. It begins in verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. Now this immediately uh, provided a level playing field for the listeners. If he had said a certain king had two subjects, or a certain master had two servants, but then he said a certain man had two sons. And so immediately they could identify with that. That didn't leave anybody out. Whatever strata of society was in that multitude listening that day, everyone could identify with what he is about to say. Then he said, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Now I can imagine whenever he said that, there would be a shockwave go through that audience. They would be aghast. They would be horrified how any young man could say to his father, give me what belongs to me. Uh, in other words, I can't wait until you die. I want what belongs to me now. That's what he was saying. And so you can imagine when, he, when he, Jesus said that, oh, I mean, all ears would prick up and immediately had their attention and they were horrified that any young man would do that to his father. You know, the normal way the father would be old and then he would die and then the estate would be divided between the sons. But in this case, what he's saying, I can't wait for you to die, so I want it right now. And so that would anger everybody listening to this. Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. To the elder brother to the younger son. He divided it to them. The elder would get two-thirds, the younger would get one-third. And they were probably a very rich family, so that would, that would probably amount to quite a, a tidy sum. So he divided to them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. He could not wait to leave. He had to get away as quick as he could from the father's house. He gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. Now, in his mind, he had been to the far country many times. He had never been physically, but he had been there in his imagination. He had been thinking about this for weeks or for months or maybe for years. He'd heard stories about the far country, about the big city and what goes on. And that got into his thought life and his imagination to the point where he just desperately wanted to go. He had to go. He must go. There's things out there that he must see and do. And life in the father's house had become boring and bland and predictable. Same thing every day. Yet the stories you heard about the city, it was exciting. It was adventuresome. There was all kinds of things to do and to see that he'd never experienced. And he was just so keen to do that that he just couldn't wait till the old man died. And as soon as he gave him his money, within days, he gathered everything together and off he went to the far country. Many a young man, many a young woman 
his desire to go into the far country, has wanted to go to the big city, has heard about the exciting things, the thrilling things, and they wanted part of it. And he was no different. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Prodigal just means wasteful. No doubt he had some ideas of what he wanted to do. Maybe he thought, you know, if I get dad's money, if there's enough, maybe, maybe I could start a little business in this big city. Uh, maybe I could rent out somewhere. Maybe I could get something going. But I'd also like to visit the bars and the clubs. I'd like to do that. And so probably when he got there, he thought, you know, even though I might like a little business going, but there's, there's just so many exciting things around here. I've got to experience everything. And so he launched himself in probably to drink, and if there had been drugs in those days, he'd have been in that too. He was in everything, the woman, everything. That's what he wanted. That's what he was going to do. He was going to have this exciting, thrilling life for himself. And so he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, just when he had spent all and everything was gone, and how many knows that when you've got money, you always will have mates? When you have pounds, you'll always have pals. But when your money runs done, your friends will run off. And here he is. He's run out of money. He's run out of friends. He's far from home. He's in the big city. And I think by this time, he's probably living rough. Because he's no money. And he's no job at this point. So what's he going to do? He has no friends. Nobody cares about him. He's in a city. Who cares about a country boy in a city? And so here he is. And just when he thought it couldn't get any worse, it gets worse. But when he spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Huh. Severe famine. So that means when the supply is short and the demand is great, the prices begin to rocket. And that's bad enough, but he had no money. So he's, he's a million times worse off right now, isn't he? And he began to be in want. And it got so bad, it says in verse 15, that he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country. He had to get a job. He just had to earn something. He had to eat. Otherwise, he's going to starve. And he sent him into his fetus to feed swine. A young Jewish man feeding swine. What humiliation. What shame. He must have thought, a good job I'm in the far country that my family and my friends doesn't see what I'm doing. I would be embarrassed. They would be shocked that I would do such a thing as feed pigs. That's not the work for a young Jewish man. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. He got to the stage where he was envying the very pig's food that they were eating, the carob pods. But the boss wouldn't even let him eat one of them. So he's in bad shape. 
and all the excitement and all the thrill and all the vision he had is all gone. And he's hopeless. And he's hungry. In fact, he's starving. And then he gets to that place where it says in verse 17, but when he came to himself. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a long time before somebody comes to themselves. When he came to that realization, it had been a long time coming. You know, he'd been running out of money for a while now. Things were going from bad to worse, but he still fought it. He thought, well, if I can get a job, at least if I can get a job, I keep body and soul together until things pick up. But they didn't pick up. In fact, they nosedived. And so he got to the place where he thought, I, I can't go on. I, I just cannot go on living this. And that's what you hope that every prodigal, that's the place that you hope they come to. Because while they have money in their pocket, while things is on the up, they're not thinking about the father's house. They're not wanting to do with the father's house. That's boring. But when that life collapses, and there they are, not a friend in the world, nobody cares for their soul, then, and maybe only then, do they begin to think about the father's house. And that's exactly what happened to this young man. And when he came to himself, that kind of lets us know, you know, that he, was, <laughs> he wasn't really himself when he was in the far country. He really wasn't. It was no life for him. It's not what God had designed for him. It's not what his father wanted. But then he came to himself and he said, How many of my father's hard servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I am, I am dying with hunger. This is really, really serious. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hard servants. Now here is true repentance. Notice what he said. I will say to him, I have sinned against heaven and against you. <coughs> he realized that what he had done was an affront to God, never mind his father. And true repentance begins with us understanding that the life we are living is an affront to God, never mind to our family or anybody else. And that's true repentance. And here we see the signs of it right here. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I do not deserve to be called your son. I have failed you. I have humiliated you. I have taken your money and spent it unwisely and wasted it. What a horrible, useless son am I. That's exactly how he felt. I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hard servants. This is what he was thinking. At least, at least dad's servants can eat. <laughs> at least they're not starving like me. At least they have somebody who cares for them, even though it's their job. But my father cares more for them, even as servants. And this rascal I'm working for, he won't even let me eat the pig's food. See the world... The world sounds exciting. 
The world sounds seductive, but at the end, it will destroy. It will bring to ruination. Many a man or woman who set off thinking they were going to do all kinds of wonderful things in this world have ended up wrecked and ruined like this young man. And so this is what he's thinking. And he's plucking up the courage to go home to the Father. And I'm sure he's wondering, what is he going to say? What, I know what I'm going to say, but what will he say? What will he do? Will he cast me away? Will he tell me to get lost? Will he lecture me and say, what a son you have turned out to be, a waster, a shame, an embarrassment to my family? Is that what he'll do? He didn't know. He didn't know. And so he arose and he came to his father. Even though he must have felt horrible, even though he must have felt so humiliated, but he was going to face the music. It couldn't be worse than what he's, how he's living now, he's thinking. Things couldn't get any worse than what I've had now, so I'll just go and I'll see. At least I'll tell my dad, I'm sorry, I'm truly sorry. I'm sorry to God, I'm sorry to you. And then we'll see what happens. That's what he's thinking. See, many a prodigal wants to come home, but they think, do you know, I've wasted my life. I've ruined my life. I'm ashamed to my family and to my friends. And if I go back to the Father's house, they'll all be talking about me. They'll point me out. <coughs> Say, there she is, there he is. There's the waster. <coughs> so he had all this to deal with in his mind. So he arose and he came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. When he was a great way off. Now, I don't know how far the far country was to the father's house. I don't know geographically in miles, but in his mind, it was a long, long way. It was a long way emotionally. It was a long way relationally. It was a long way spiritually. It was a long way. And it may have taken a long time to get there. And some prodigals, it takes longer to come back to the father's house than others. Sometimes in their heart, they come back. But to physically come back, sometimes that takes a while. Because they feel the shame. And so, he comes back. And he arose and came to the father. When he was still a great way off, his father saw him. Huh. Before he ever saw the father, the father saw him. The father was out every day looking down that dusty, windy road, looking for that little dot on the horizon, hoping that that would be his son coming back. How many times the father did that, we don't know. I suspect he did it every day for however long it took, hoping, wishing he would come back. 
And here he is. One day the father sees that dot on the horizon. Could it be? I hope it is. And he watched and he waited. And then he saw something familiar. Whether it was his gate, how he walked or whatever it was, but he, he saw something familiar and he recognized his son. Amen. So his father saw him. You know, God our Father sees us before we ever repent. <laughs> I'm sure the Father and his thoughts thought about him in the far country. I'm sure he thought about what he was up to. Certainly elder brother knew what he was up to. Because if you read the story further, when he heard about it, he just, it was on the tip of his tongue just to tell the father all the son had done. So probably everybody knew. But our heavenly father sees us before we ever repent. And he sees us when we repent. And he sees us whenever we come back to his house. But when the father saw him and had compassion on him, not condemnation, compassion. Not to punish him, but to pardon him. See, this is the father heart of God, isn't it? This is why this story is in the Bible. Jesus is trying to show that crowd, and especially those Pharisees and scribes, what the true father heart of God was like, because they had no idea, because their hearts were hard and cruel. So Jesus was showing this through this parable. And he had compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Amen. The old man girded up his loins. He couldn't wait to run and to greet him and to embrace him and to kiss him. This is the father heart of God. Not standing aloof, but running towards him. As soon as he took one step towards the father, the father took many steps towards him, ran towards him. Amen. For a long time I wondered. I wondered why he did that, apart from his love. But there was a reason why he ran before the son ever got to the town. And the reason was simply this, that had the father not been there, and the son wandered into the village, into the town, the elders would have condemned him. The elders would have tried him and condemned him and kicked him out because of the shame they brought into his father's household and maybe to the whole village. But the father made sure that he would get to him first because he wasn't going to judge him. He's going to show him mercy. He wasn't going to condemn him. He's going to embrace him. This is the father heart of God, you see. And so that's exactly what he does. He hugs him and embraces him and loves on him. And the young man, when that happened, the son said to him, verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he never got to finish. 
his sentence. All that he had rehearsed, that just let me be one of your servants. He never got to say that. The father didn't let him get that far. The father just hushed him and embraced him. And I think in that moment, the son realized, I don't have to say the other part anyway, because I'm accepted. My father is accepting me with no conditions. And that's what was happening. The father didn't let him finish the sentence. And it would have been a good thing. That would have been fair, wouldn't it? Just let me be a servant. He couldn't expect more than that. If that, most fathers wouldn't even let them in under the door again, out over the door again. They wouldn't even let him in the house again. But not this father. Because this is the father heart of God we're seeing tonight. But then the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Here he is, he's stinking. He's just come from the pig pen. The Sarah and Brian rears pigs so they know the smell of pigs. <laughs> when I was courting my beloved wife, she lived in a little house in the prairie. <laughs> she did. You had to walk through two fields to get to her house. They had no running water. The well was in the back garden. It was really a really country little house. But there was a piggery just up the road a little bit. And when the wind blew in her direction, <laughs> but I was so much in love, it never fizzed in me. It did, it was like roses to me. <laughs> well, that's a little exaggeration there, but, <laughs> but I would tough it out for her, you see. <laughs> but here he is. And his clothes is rags. And the father looked at him. And he thought, I don't want my son wearing rags. Get the best robe. <laughs> he probably said to when I started, go into the wardrobe. But not any robe, the best robe. Do you know the one I'm talking about? The best one. Bring that out. Let's have that on him. See, this is the father heart of God. You know, that would be nice way to say, no, no, you know, let me just have a wee talk with you first. Let's make sure this never happens again. Let me just sit you down and give you a good talk or two first. And then we'll see where we go from there. But not this father. Because this is the father heart of God. This is the mercy and the love of God. So he says, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. See, the family ring. The sons would have carried the family ring with the family crest on it. This would be the ring of authority. Any special papers that need it sealed, the ring would seal it. And the father looked at him. No ring. Where did the ring go? He left with it probably sold it or pawned it or lost it or gave it away or gambled it. So the father looked and said, there's no ring. 
So give him the ring. He's my son. Give him back his authority. He's under my roof now. He's in my family. So he is my authority to wear the ring. You see, and this is the goodness of God, isn't it? This is what the Lord does for us. Puts that lovely robe upon him. Dresses him up. Alexander McLaren, the great old preacher, said, God's giving always follows his forgiving. He always gives when he forgives. Read that again. God's giving always follows his forgiving. He always gives when he forgives. This is the Father heart of God. So he put the robe upon him. The robe could stand for the robe of righteousness. In Isaiah 61 and 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. In Zechariah chapter 3, the priest Joshua, not the great leader in but the priest Joshua, the devil comes and accuses him and God said to the angel, take those filthy clothes off him and put robes of righteousness on him. <laughs> and that's what God has done for us, hasn't it? Because all our own righteousness was filthy rags, but we lost all of those when we came to Christ and he gave us his robes of righteousness to wear. In Revelation 19, there's a lovely image of the saints of God standing in white robes of righteousness before the throne of God. The ring of authority, of reconciliation, the shoes, put sandals on his feet, the shoes of restoration. Slaves never wore shoes, only sons. But he walked home on his bare feet. He left in his shoes to the far country and he came home on his bare feet. Didn't even have shoes to wear. And the father looked at him and says, come on, get him some shoes. He's my son. I can't have him run about in his bare feet. Hmm. There's just so many scriptures I could read to you at this point, but you're getting the idea, aren't you? And in the feast, verses 23 and 24, the killing of the fatted calf. Huh. And why did they do that? For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. There's no question he was dead spiritually. The far country had seen to that. And he was lost. Terribly lost. But he's alive again now. He has repented truly. And the Father has received him and embraced him. And so he's alive again. And he's found again. 
He's where he should be. Death and alive, lost and found. That sounds like the gospel to me, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. The Bible speaks of sin as bringing death. <coughs> Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Separation from God, that means. Spiritual death, separation from God. Physical death is just separation of your soul from your body. Ephesians 2, 1, we were dead in trespasses and sins. But John 1 and 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of man. <laughs> we were dead in trespasses and sins until Christ came, who was the light and the life of man. And once we received him, we became spiritually alive. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. One of the most religious men in the whole country. But he was dead in sin and didn't know it. Jesus said, you have to be born again. He was lost, but he's found. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Nothing is more important than our precious souls that will live for eternity, that will never, ever die, will live one place or the other. Then he says, bring the fatted calf and let us eat and be merry. Ah, two of those parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin. When the sheep is found, and the coin is found, they says, rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. That which was lost is found. <laughs> there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And when the prodigal comes back, there is joy in heaven. There must be a cheer and a rejoicing when the word goes around. Heaven's a big place. When the word goes around, there must be shouts of joy that goes around. You know, have you ever watched a golf match? Maybe none of you ever do, but have you ever did, especially the big, the big ones, the big majors? And there's thousands of people out on the course and all watching different golfers playing. And every now and again, when a golfer hits a super shot, he maybe gets a birdie, he maybe gets an eagle, he maybe gets a hole in one, there's a massive roar goes up, and you hear it all over the course because something exciting and good has happened. Can you imagine heaven when every sinner repents? Heaven must be a noisy place. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it says there's only going to be 30 minutes of silence in heaven. So for all those people who want a silent place for eternity, heaven's the wrong place for you. There's only going to be half an hour of silence. But there's going to be a lot of rejoicing. There's going to be a lot of joy. Glory to God. Old Arnott says of the feast, it indicates the joy of a forgiving God over a forgiven man. And the joy of a forgiven man in a forgiving God. The heart of God rejoices when the sinner comes to him. Because of the work his son did in Calvary, when every person recognizes that and said to God, I accept your son, what he's done for me, that pleases the great heart of God. And he has a great heart. We can see that in this story. And then, finally, and this is a little bit out of sync, the kiss of relationship. 
he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the tense is, again and again and again, and he smothered him in kisses. There he was, stinking, smelly, sweaty. And if it could be so blunt with pig dung all over him. But the father didn't care. Because he wasn't looking at him on the outside, he was looking at the heart. The heart that had repented, the heart that was sorry. That's my son. And he hugs him and he kisses him over and over and over. Now that must have melted the son's heart when he did that, eh? Because there he was going back and he was humble and he'd repented. But he thought, I'm probably in for a rough time. And I'll deserve everything I get. And anything he gives me, it's more than I deserve. But the father doesn't. He just kisses him over and over and over. He's just so glad to see him. Didn't wait till he was cleaned up and dressed up. You know, sometimes that holds people back from coming to Christ. They think, well, if I can just drop off that habit and stop doing that and stop doing that, then when I'm cleaned up, I'll come to and they'll accept me. No, 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 no. No, no, no. You'd never be clean enough. <laughs> no, never be clean enough. He'll accept you just as you are. Without one plea. The smell of the far country was on him. The clothes of the far country was on him. But all the father cared about was his son had returned. One writer said, Once enfolded in his fatherly arms, there is no casting up of sins. <laughs> he didn't go back over all the things that he'd done in the far country. He didn't even ask him. didn't want to know didn't want to know. All he cared about is your home. I'm your father. This is your home. And my son is home. That's all he cared about. That's all he wanted. The writer says, God kisses the past into forgetfulness. <laughs> See, this is the father heart of God. Amen. And if every prodigal could understand that, if every prodigal could come to themselves and realize that the way they're going is going to end in disaster and ruin and hell at the end of it. And yet all the while there's a loving father who's watching and waiting with arms wide open who wants to embrace them and bring them into his house. Isn't it a wonderful story? haven't time to talk about the elder brother and all that, which is a story in itself, because they were standing listening to Jesus talking about this, and the hackles must have been rising, because that's so unlike them. They wouldn't have done that in a million years. All they were offering was condemnation and punishment, but not the Father. He was offering love and grace and forgiveness. What a heavenly father we have got tonight. Amen? Amen? So you may be a prodigal. I don't know. Somebody may be a prodigal here tonight. But I want you to know if you are, there's a father who loves you and is waiting on you. Don't keep him waiting. Come to him. Come to him tonight. Or you may be praying for a prodigal. And you preach to them until you're blue in the face. And they know everything you're going to say because they've heard it so many times. 
and they're scared even to say anything to you because if they, if they give in one little bit, you'll be jumping on them. And I've done that myself. But keep on praying for that prodigal. But they will come to themselves. And the Father will be ready and embrace them. Lord, tonight we acknowledge that we are all sinners saved by grace. Nothing that we could have done, nothing we could earn. And yet, Lord, in your mercy and in your love, you saved us. We didn't deserve any of it. But your great Father heart loved us. And so I pray tonight for anyone in this room or anyone listening to this on the podcast, if you're a prodigal, come back to the Father. Don't waste another hour. Don't let your life go to wreck and ruin anymore. Come back to the Father. He will embrace you, forgive you. He will bring you into his family and his house and give you a place of authority. Lord, we thank you for your mercies towards us. Your word says they're new and they're fresh every day, for great is your faithfulness. And so we rejoice in that tonight. We, we leave this house tonight knowing that we have got a good, good Father who truly loves us. So we give you thanks for this. In the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.